Joining me on the show today is Will Travell. Will is one of the stars of Netflix's Jessica Jones series, which was one of the most popular shows of last year. He talks all about that and more. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to a brand new year and a new season of Benjamin Mayer McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin Mayer McKay, and welcome to 2016. I'm very excited to be bringing you a fantastic interview for our first one of the year. I was joined by Will Travell earlier this week, and Will discussed his role in Jessica Jones, which is a Marvel series made exclusively for Netflix. Now, Will talks all about the series, as well as what it's like working for Netflix compared to a regular TV station. After that, I'll share with you my thoughts on some of the latest cinematic releases. But first, here's my chat with Will Travell. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me today. Pleasure. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. And yourself? Good. Really good, mate. Good. Very good. Now, Will, what was your inspiration to pursue a career as an actor? My inspiration for my career? Mm. To live life passionately and enjoy enjoy work every moment. You know, I come from a family of working class people and, uh, you know, everyone in my family works in order to live and I enjoy living while working. Uh, and acting does that. It's just, it's just one of those things, mate. It's just a job that when you get to do it, it fills you with happiness. And so why not? Why not pursue it? That's a great inspiration, you know? Absolutely. And has there been a moment or experience that you saw as a turning point for your career? Not really, mate. I mean, from the moment I started everything, I mean, everything's a turning point. Everything is something that you kind of, you learn off and you bounce off and, and you help drive yourself into a new direction with newfound inspiration. But uh, no, there's no real particular turning points. It's not like I had any great epiphany where I was like, yes, now I know how to do it. No, it was just a, it was a long slog of, of going to theatre school, learning from the craft, and then getting work after theatre school, you know, on Australian television and, and a couple of films, and just, you know, building on those experiences and, and, and building on the level of, uh, of uh, ability. Mm. And, I mean, do you continue to train now that you're a working actor? Yeah. Uh, I mean, while living out here in the States, I've done a couple of different uh, other forms of uh, acting, you know, like improvisation and that sort of stuff. So I've, uh, you know, I've taken some of those classes. But uh, the best training for an actor really is on the job, you know? Mm. So uh, working has been, yeah. I mean, you've had the opportunity to work with some fairly high-profile people, especially on Jessica Jones. Do you learn off those people when you're doing scenes with them? Absolutely. Um, yeah, some of the you know sometimes you, you work with actors who uh, who really inspire a, a new level of connected like connected acting and artistry. Uh, you know, and sometimes you learn off other actors. You know how to keep things light and bring levity to a set. Or sometimes you work with actors who really to throw themselves in to you know to, to be cliche to use like a method. Um, but um, yeah, all of them. Learn from everyone you work with. Now, as I mentioned, uh, you are in Jessica Jones, and you're probably most well known for that. What was the audition process like for such a high-profile show? Uh, well, the funny thing about Marvel is they're extremely secretive. So, uh, when I first got the audition, there was very little mention about what their show was exactly. It was it was a dummy script, so it was a generic script with no real characters listed in it, not even real scenes from from the show. Um, and the only thing I knew that was uh, that it was a Marvel project. So I went there and did my first round of auditions and uh, finished that up. And you know what? I almost forgot about it. it was so 
was so nondescript and very discreet. Uh, it wasn't for a good two and a half months later that I got a call back from my agent saying, oh, you're getting a call back for that audition you did, uh, you know, a long time ago for this. And I was like, I can't remember what that was. And they're like, yeah, yeah, so they're going to send you a, a, another script to, to work on and walk back in. That next round of auditions was in front of the heads of Marvel, uh, Netflix, and and, um, and Tall Girl Productions, which is Mel Rosenberg's production, who made Jessica Jones. So that was the final round of auditions. I walked in there again, and they're like, hey, here, sign a contract. Uh, let's see the audition, and we'll let you know in a, in a couple of days. A couple of days later, I found out just before Christmas that I'd gotten a role, and then I was told the name of the role, uh, and that it was a show called Jessica Jones. So I was like, oh, shit, thank you. Great. <laughs> that must have been a wonderful Christmas present. Dude, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I rushed out and got the Jessica Jones uh, comic books, and uh, spend that Christmas break just reading up on the on the source material, and uh, just really like over the moon, excited because I was like, yeah, "This is a fucking wicked job." Now, uh, as you mentioned, you went out and you read all the comic books, and what I loved about Jessica Jones is how it's really a superhero show for adults. Did that shock you a little bit when you first read? I suppose yeah. what is typically considered, you know, superheroes for younger people. Yeah, yeah, I did read it because it comes from the Max series. Um, of comic books which are really adult content and some of it especially the comic books I don't know if the listeners have read them but in there they deal with you know rape and then um, sexual slavery and also like you know addictive intravenous drug use and all this sort of stuff and it's like wow when I was reading them I was like are we putting all of this on the screen it's like it's a very R-rated kind of content um, which excited me because I was like wow so it's broadening the genre of comic book television, you know, that we're going to put something on there that was different, that I hadn't ever seen before, different, dealing with themes, okay, which I hadn't seen done before by the Marvel Marvel team, so I was actually really kind of excited that we're going to do some adults, some adult stuff, you know, that wasn't necessarily going to be directed and aimed at, you know, a teenage audience, that we were looking to get a more sophisticated adult audience interested Mm. And I think introducing those themes sort of brought a, a gravitas and a, a heavier tone to the show. Did that affect your performance at all, knowing yeah. that you had to play it sort of darker? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because, you know, each, each show has its own style. And we knew we were dealing with, you know, darker themes. So you've got to, you've got to be prepared to take the characters and plunge them into darker, darker realms. So, yeah, it did. You know, it allowed myself to do my Here's Johnny moment. <laughs> you know then I could go all out bad guy um, yeah I guess so we were all very excited to you know play these characters in in that really heightened dark you know scary scary world you know uh, and it was kind of delightful to be given that opportunity mm-hmm. and one of the reasons you could obviously do all that was because it was exclusively made for net for Netflix now what would you say are the primary differences yeah. between making a show for TV and then making a show for Netflix I think one of the bigger differences is because Netflix allowed the producers of a show to have carte blanche they say listen just make the show you want to make you know uh, and don't feel restricted in kind of you know censorship or content uh, we'll deal with that later um, so that was kind of nice. I've worked on shows before, you know, where you're given, you know, the, the do's and don'ts of a sex scene, or you know, what you can and can't show during during a murder, and uh, and that that's quite literally there were physical 
pieces of paper handed out to all the actors in the scene going, this is what we can and can't do, you know, these, this is what the network doesn't want to see. So working with Netflix uh, and Marvel, they were like, no, just we're doing everything. You know, let's get as much as we can. Um, what I did like about this show, actually, was the level of uh, their care, their regard for nudity. Is they were like, yes, we want to, we want to have great sex scenes, but we're going to imply nudity. There's no need for the women to like pull their pull their tits out in the middle of a sex scene. There's no need for that. Generally, you know, if you need that, you can go to the sites on on the internet if you need to see that. In, in a television show, you can imply sex. Sex is still sexy no matter how it's ha- happening. It doesn't need to be gratuitous. So I did like that about the Netflix. I mean that that again, I suppose you know makes it a little bit more classy and, and it emphasizes you know that it's a it's a proper detective yeah. show as a, as opposed to something that's just you know using gratuitous violence and, and gratuitous nudity. So I suppose yeah, that adds yeah. a level of class to it. Yeah. Now, how would you describe yeah. your character on the show? Um, listen, I think Simpson is you know he's a guy hell bent on serving justice. You know he's very serious about uh, doing the right thing. Um, his methods are somewhat suspect. <laughs> I think he's just a good guy doing it in a bad way. You know? Mm. Um, and, you know, when you get down to it, when you get to the end of the series, you realize that he's probably, you know, he is um, a, a repetitive aggressor or violent, you know, domestic violence. Uh, abu- uh, yeah, he's, and he's also a drug, he's a drug addict, you know? You get towards the end of the series, and he gets back on the, back into his addiction, and, it, and he gets carried away. You know, he loses control over himself and his intentions. You know, so he is a good guy essentially, but he just keeps doing it in a bad way. Mm. Now, a lot of a lot of fans uh, of, of Jessica Jones wrote in when they found out I was interviewing you, and um, they they all knew that the character is, I suppose, the basis for Nuke in the Marvel comics, and they were wondering, do you think we'll ever yeah. end up seeing a comic book accurate version of the character in future episodes of Jessica Jones? Uh, I wouldn't know. You would, I would hope so. That'd be cool. Yeah, is that something you'd like to explore? They keep their cards close to their chest. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you'll ever see Will Simpson with a tattoo across his face. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> fun though, wouldn't it? It would. Imagine the makeup you'd have to do for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I'd have to put on about two hundred pounds. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sure CGI can help somewhere. I'm, I'm sure Marvel's got the money for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, the backstory of the character was changed uh, substantially for this show. How did that affect the research you were able to do f- when preparing for the show? It, meant, uh, it actually meant that when I did start researching that character, um, I, it quickly became obvious that that backstory in the Marvel comics wasn't relevant and that I couldn't use it. So he had to be kind of started from scratch. So he was a reinvention, you know. And in fact, there was, there was very little I could take from the comics, um, other than knowing that that was the that was the genesis for the character. But he wasn't because we weren't using that backstory, and he was a reinvention. It really had to be uh, a creation that I came up with myself, and with the writers and the directors uh, and the other creators on the show. Mm. So, how did you work with the directors, writers, and producers in developing that reinvention of the character? Just as you do on any other show, you know, you discuss scripts that come up and discuss um, character arcs, uh, and you know, 
a lot of the research, a lot of the preparation I did for that character was working on the things that I knew about him, which was that he was a police officer and ex-serviceman. So I spoke to a couple of ex-Marines who'd actually gone into the police force and lived in New York and worked as a New York City cops and uh, worked with uh, the Brooklyn Police Department. He had a good tour around there and got a ride along with the cops. So that kind of stuff was uh, essential in kind of developing the character. So then I brought those experiences and that research to the writers and directors when we had, you know, problems with the script or trying to solve particular issues. I was like, well, you know, when I was talking to this guy, this is how he felt, or, you know, this is how he kind of deals with these emotions when he gets upset, you know, all this sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, just you collaborate with what you know and what they know. Mm. Now, when you I first... Rich, you know, mm. some kind of interesting character. Yeah, well, it certainly did create a very interesting character and one that fans seem to really yeah, enjoy, yeah. you know, watching. I do have some good fans out there. They have some good fans. People like him. Yeah, pe- people really get attached to these these characters in these superhero shows, no matter how evil yeah. they are. I mean, did that surprise you at yeah. all? Yeah, yeah, it did a bit. But I think you know, one of the important things about if you're playing a character who could be considered evil or bad is that you make sure that that's not how you see them. You know, you got to understand their pro- their motives and why they think what they're doing is the right thing to do. Mm. Which is what I found out with Wilson, and I was like, no, listen, he's in love with this woman. He wants to make sure she's protected. And as it stands, there's a bad guy out there who is a danger. So do anything you can to get rid of the bad guy. Uh, and I think that's what that's how people can get attached to these characters because they get it. They go, I oh, know, I understand why you're being this or why you're behaving this way. I get it. You want to kill Pilgrave? You'll do anything to do it. So. That's okay. Mm. Now, obviously, in, in playing this character, you got to do a fair few stunts and some action sequences. Did you have to do any additional uh, training to be ready for that? I did. A, uh, I worked with a, a couple of different martial artists and uh, and uh, a hand-to-hand combat specialist. We did some knife, knife fighting. We did hand-to-hand. We did, uh, I worked at the uh, gun range in Manhattan, you know, shooting guns and learning how to shoot guns, learning how to infiltrate a building, uh, you know, take people out. It was really fun, man. I actually learned some skills to the point where after I finished shooting the show, there was a, uh, a guy at a bar hassling my wife, uh, just being a bit of a dick, and I said, listen, to you need to back off. And he said, no, he was actually a good couple of inches tall for me, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and I was like, oh, my body automatically responded. I stuck his arm around, put him into a sleeper hold, and then and then brought him to the ground. And security was like, "What's going on?" I was like, no, "This guy's been a dick. You need to take him outside." My wife was like, "Baby, why did you learn to do that?" I was like, "The show." <laughs> <laughs> so it certainly has come in useful in your personal life. <laughs> it's coming useful. I'm now lethal. <laughs> Oh. So, um, do you think it's likely we'll see your character return for the next series? Well, that is uh, stuff I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> well, if you, if I'm you... restricted by contract in talking about anything about season two. Oh, okay. Well, I suppose then how much of it was yeah, secret yeah. while you were filming? Because obviously you were doing all these cool things and, and learning all these, all these, you know, shooting yeah. and fighting. How much could you tell people like your wife or your parents or, or you know, people you knew? I mean, legally, I couldn't tell anyone anything. If I accidentally told anything to my wife, it would have been while I was sleeping. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you know, those are all the kind of flexible, aren't they, when, it, when, it, when it's the person you live with. 
I, I think so. I mean, I hope so. You know, everyone's human. But you know, the, the great thing was not being being uh, restricted from telling anyone anything. Kind of makes it more exciting when people go, "So what's going on?" You go, "Just wait and see. Just you know, leave it, <laughs> leave it, wait and see." It's actually kind of a little bit of a gift because then you know. All your friends and family are watching it for, and watching it and experiencing it and finding things out for the first time, and that's kind of more fun. Mm, it certainly is. Now, I mean, obviously, the casting was announced a few months in advance of the show being released. Did you find yourself suddenly inundated with people wanting to know the details of the show? Yeah, yeah, there were a lot of people, but he, keep this in mind. I didn't really know anything about the show at that point either, so, you know, all I knew was uh, the, the, the title and what we were going to you know, the world we're going to be living in. But I didn't know anything. So there, even when people ask that details, like, truly, I've got nothing to tell you. I can't let you know. So how far in advance did you get the scripts? And did you always know the whole story? Or we only ever told your parts? Um, we only got scripts one week before we started shooting them. They kept them really close to their chest and they really didn't want us to kind of preempt anything going on into the show. Uh all the scripts were watermarked and we got them via, you know, an encrypted email server and all this sort of stuff. So it was high security and uh, all scripts had to be had to be shredded or disposed of, you know, in the appropriate ways once they were finished. So, yeah, it's, it's, they're a little bit intense. Well, I mean, I suppose they need to be in, in this day and age when anything can be really leaked. Yes. Yeah. I mean, were you able to take anything away from set? Obviously, you had to shred your scripts, but was there anything you were able to keep as a memento of filming the first season? Yeah, I took some red pills away. <laughs> Just don't take them. Just don't take them. But there was the first, I think it's in episode 11. We counted how many red pills I took because there were so many different takes of me in different moments during that episode of me taking them. I think we got up to 130 pills that I actually swallowed while shooting that episode. What were they? They were, they were vitamin C. So, I mean, I, I didn't get a cold for it for, for months. It was great. Uh, probably not the recommended dosage, though. Yeah, no, I don't think you can OD. No, of course not. Well, I think you're living proof that you can't. Now, uh, obviously, Jessica Jones was very recently announced as getting a second season. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you any spoilers. But um, unlike regular TV, yep. Netflix doesn't rely on ratings to recommission shows. So what do you think are the key factors yep. that influence these decisions? Um, look, I know for a fact that Netflix kind of based their, their, uh, their decisions to renew a show based on how much they enjoy it themselves, personally, and then just gauging how, how fans enjoy it. Because they want to serve, you know, they want to serve their fans and their viewers and their audiences. But also, I know, you know, they factor in like how many people, how many new memberships pop up when a new show is released, you know, and this sort of stuff. But I think really Netflix is there for their audience, you know. So they're trying to create content that people who subscribe to them want to see, you know. And it is a subscriber-based uh, business, so. You know, as soon as they start losing subscribers, they realise they've got to put some more content out there that people want to watch. Mm. So, um, did you have Netflix before you you started filming Jessica Jones? I've been a fan of Netflix since they began. 
uh, I've been when I first began here, it was just they were sending out DVDs that you could watch and then return any time. It was like uh, your at home DVD store, and then when they went into streaming and all that sort of stuff. So I've been there since the beginning. I love the service. Mm. And have you sat back and, and watched Jessica Jones and been able to enjoy it from the other side now? Yep, absolutely. When I first started watching it, I was like, oh, I'm going to be critical. I'm going to, you know, all I'll be able to see is myself. When I first started watching it, I think partly because the character is different accent, you know, looks very different to me in regular life. But no, I enjoyed it thoroughly as a regular audience. Yeah, mm. I really enjoyed it. I suppose that's a testament to the work then, isn't it? If you can enjoy it, even after you've been in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And things were still surprising me when I was watching it. I was like, oh, hang on, I didn't know that happened. Yeah. Mm. So. Yeah, now, obviously, Jessica Jones was released in a, in a binge-watching format. Uh, did you watch it like that in, in a day, like a lot of fans did, or did you spread it out over a week or so? No, I, sp- I spread it out over about three weeks, actually. Oh, wow, so all the fans were ahead of you, then. Like, binge out on, yeah. I don't think I've... Is, is there anything I've ever binged on? Not really. But I do, I do like having the option of just watching it at any time, whenever I choose to. But, um... Was there anything we ever watched? Binge? Oh, Breaking Bad. That's the one I did. We had one, one week where I think we got through two seasons in a week, and we were like, too much Breaking Bad, kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that would be a lot of Breaking Bad, two whole seasons in a week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least Netflix shows oh, are sort of manageable, aren't they? I mean, you know, they're only 13 as opposed to regular TV, which goes, you know, 24 episodes. Yeah. Now, um, do, yeah. do you think that appearing on Jessica Jones has raised your profile internationally? Um, yeah, I do have a lot of fans now who write to me through Twitter and, and Instagram and that sort of stuff. You know, especially in South America and Brazil uh, and then a couple of different Southeast Asian countries who I guess had Jessica Jones with a different voice. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so now there's, now I have uh, an international profile, which is kind of fun. It certainly is. Have you started doing conventions and, and you know, fan meet and greets and things like that yet? Uh, I've done one Comic-Con, which was before the show came out, which was still kind of freaky. People were obsessed with the show even before it had been released. But I haven't done any since, and I'm looking forward to those, because I know uh, a lot of people get a lot of pleasure out of like, coming up and meeting, meeting these characters, or the people, the actors that play them. So I used to do it for all things when we were back in Oz. We'd have a big channel seven days all over the country. Uh, and I do love it, man. It's, you know, it's nice, it's nice to meet people that are... Uh, that are who are inviting you into their home, you know, and especially if they're you know fans and they really just want to say hello. Well, that's kind of part of the job. It's one of the best parts of the job. Mm. The recognition is is always fantastic. <laughs> How would you sum up the experience of working on Jessica Jones? Um, as a dream come true, really. I had the opportunity to, to move to New York, live in New York City, which is you know one of the best cities in the planet. <laughs> Work and in a, in a big, nice, huge scale. Uh, high profile piece uh, work with some really talented actors and great uh, crew and DOPs and directors and run around New York with a gun so it was kind of a dream come true it certainly sounds like one now a long a long time ago before Jessica Jones and before your move to America you were on the Australian series All Saints what are the main differences between working on American TV and Australian TV um 
probably just scale, you know? But essentially it's the same process, you know, getting a script, rehearsing a script, shooting a script, getting it produced and putting it on television, it's all kind of the same. Um, you know, it's just the reverence in which uh, the Americans go about it is probably a little more intense, you know? It's a little more important. Well, not that it's more important, but they treat it with a greater... Mm, I don't know. It's really not that different, you know? Mm. What I did notice, actually, is in Australian productions are a little more... Fam like, it's a much more family feel. You know, you get to know your cast and crew much more intimately than you would in, in the States. Mm-hmm. And does that affect the experience yeah. working on the shows then? Do you enjoy, you know, the family feel more? No, no, I enjoy it. I do enjoy the family feel more. But uh, as a consequence, you know, every show that I've worked on here, I, I, I try to hang out with the crew a lot more than most American actors do. They're like, why are you talking to those guys? I'm like, because we're working together. But, um, yeah. Mm. Now, and I've... my big thing is that you can't, in Australia, if someone really screws up, you get slabbed which is whoever that is, cast or crew, have to bring in a slab of beer for Friday, end of the working week. Uh, here, you can't do that. You can't get slabbed here because <laughs> they're not allowed drinking. Oh, dear. Well, yeah, that's, that's the most Australian thing I think anyone's ever said on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now, All Saints was a very, very popular show in Australia. Are people familiar with it in the States? Nope. <laughs> have you had... <laughs> Have you tried introducing it to people you know over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's been a couple of people who have, uh, since becoming familiar with me, I guess, have investigated. I've had some people write through social media that they've watched all things and they find it to be strange. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no one really knows about it. Well, uh, at what yeah, point? States. Yeah. Well, at, at what point in your career did you decide you needed to move to the states? When I met my wife, uh, well, I didn't really decide I wanted to move to the States for work at all. I did get called over here for a potential job with CBS in a series that never got made. But over here, uh, I ran into my now wife, but then just acquaintance. Uh, I'd run into her a couple of times, but then I met her here in LA. Yeah, so anyway, she invited me to stay in America. Uh, and cut a short, some long story short, I did. Uh, we fell in love and then we got married. So, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, thanks. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so but the intention of I mean, coming to America wasn't really getting to television, although I always fantasized about it. But uh, falling in love is a much more motivating uh, reason to move to another country. It certainly is. And how did you find that transition at, at first? Because America is quite different from Australia. It's really not that different from Australia, I've got to be honest. There's not even that much of a cultural shock. I mean, the food is vaguely different. There's a different accent, but um, especially coming from Sydney uh, and the lifestyle when you move across to California and especially LA, it's almost the same place, mate. Um, although uh, Americans are a lot more polite. <laughs> that is very true. Now, um, how long did it take you to find acting work over in the States? Before I even got my green card, I, I scored, secured one job, uh, which I couldn't do because I didn't have the green card in place. So it wasn't that long. But it came in drips and drabs, and it was guest roles here, and, you know, like appearing on shows like Dexter and, and Once Upon a Time and, um, you know, and a few other shows. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't an avalanche of work, but it certainly was there. It was enough to keep me interested. 
Mm. And what did you find yourself doing in between those those guest starring roles? Uh, I did all sorts of jobs, buddy. Uh, when I was back in Australia before uh, going to NIDA and studying uh, performing arts, I, uh, I trained as a chef uh, back home in Melbourne. And so uh, I took up a couple of catering jobs and, and private uh, chefing jobs and then worked in the kitchen, worked in a nightclub, uh, which was hell, 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 hell. Uh, but, you know, those things all enrich your your ability as an actor. You know, you need to have a breadth of experience if you keep yourself in isolation and, and, and just be a, um, you know, an emotional artist. It's difficult. It's really nice to go out there and have some real jobs. It, it really does um, enrich your ability as an artist. So, yeah, I had some pretty shitty damn jobs here, though. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it creates experiences that you can draw from when you need to have awful experiences in TV shows. <laughs> exactly, mate, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, what would you consider your ideal project to work on? Um, look, Jessica Jones uh, is really kind of one of them ideal projects. Um, I have I have some deep fascination with different um, pockets of, of American history, and uh, there's a couple of ideal jobs uh, during like a period. You know, I don't know whether you remember Deadwood or Carnival or something like that. Mm. One of those jobs would be fantastic, you know. Well, there is a Deadwood movie coming up. Yeah, fingers crossed. There is. Fingers crossed. You know. Also, and since being a little kid, I've always wanted to be in Star Trek. So, we'll wait. <laughs> that, that, there's a starship that needs a captain at some point. They'll never stop making those movies. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, now you've been acting professionally since 2003. How has the industry changed since you first became involved in it? Um, how has the industry changed? Well, I guess uh, just the, the the content and how uh, the content and how audiences now access television or movies, you know, mm. now uh, an immediate sort of access, audiences have, have that sort of access. They uh, can stream things, you know, you different platforms. There's not such a heavy reliance on, uh, well, we used to have it that, you know, you could go to the cinema and see some smaller independent films. Now it's all kind of, you know, some are blockbusters and if you go to the niche cinemas, you can see some good, some good independent uh, cinema. But generally that stuff is now reserved to you know, online release and that sort of thing. So that's kind of interesting. Although I haven't had, you know, too much experience with uh, independent theater, uh, cinema here in the States. That's kind of the greatest shift. Uh, and this streaming platform now is just incredible because now you have, uh, you know, 13-part series, which are essentially, it's like a 13-hour movie, you know. Writers are now writing stories and giving characters, uh, characters much more sophisticated arts because they're, they're not compelled to finish and, you know, get everything into the single episode. You know, they can leave audiences wanting more because they know they're probably just going to click on to the next episode. So that's kind of more fun. Mm. It's more interesting as an actor. It, it certainly is. You get to have that character progression over a longer period of time. Yeah, yeah. And, and what about the yeah, auditioning? It's much more like theatre, you know? Oh, yeah, most certainly. three hours getting to know a character. Uh, and so now people are doing that uh, in television. You know, sometimes it takes six hours to really flesh out a character, and you go, oh, I love this guy now. So, mm. Yeah. You get all the time to build up the backstories. Yeah, exactly. Now what, now, what about the auditioning process? I know, especially in Australia, that's changed a lot. There are very few scenarios where you find yourself in a room auditioning for people. There's a lot of self-taping. How have you seen that process evolve over oh, the years? 
Yeah, there really is. No, it stays the same here. It's always, oh, right. Well, here in, uh, here in uh, the U.S., it's still when you walk in there and you meet a casting agent as the first round of auditions, uh, and then you progress from there where you might go and then uh, have a meeting with the producers, and then from that you may have a work session with the director, and then the final step is what they call a network test, which is usually all the producers and the network's backing the show uh, and the director, and then you have a, a final screen test uh, where they make their decision from there. And that hasn't really changed since I've been here. Hmm. That's, that's quite interesting to see how the two different countries have, have changed or, you know, yeah. one stayed the same, one's changed. Yeah, right. Now, what have you got lined up in the coming months that our listeners can look forward to seeing you in? Well, it's just hitting in pilot season here, which means, uh, you know slating a bunch of new shows to be uh, made. So at the moment, um, we're heading out there trying to see what our options are. And, uh, you know, I just auditioned for a couple of new Netflix shows. Uh, and in the next coming months, we'll be doing the same thing. So there's nothing really to talk about right now. Um, but when they do hit, I mean, at this point, you're just kind of trying to find the right project. You know, you want something that's interesting, uh, something that kind of, challenging as an actor but also you know you want something that audiences will will like as well so when we find the right project it'll be out there mm, it's always the eternal paradox for the actor finding the right project yeah now, well, finding the right project means you're looking for a job, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, but it's always nice when that job is, you know, gives you that the, the good show as well as the great character to work with. Exactly, yeah. Now, uh, now, for fans who'd like to stay in touch, where can people connect with you? The best place, uh, I mean, I actually respond a lot to Twitter, which is, you know, at Will Travail. Uh, and then Instagram, obviously, but uh, and Facebook. I respond to people both on Facebook and Twitter, so if people actually want to contact. I just look at it as a modern-day uh, uh, fan mail, you know? And they're short and succinct, and because it's, I'm restricted to 143 characters or whatever it is, I'm more than happy to write fan mail. <laughs> Back in the past, I was like, oh, my God, i got to write two and a half pages or something. Now it's like, hey, someone asks a question, I, I have the opportunity to... Uh, contact them directly and quickly it's, it's fun it's much better mm, do you think that so I suppose sustains your fans even when shows like Jessica Jones aren't currently showing or there aren't any more episodes out now yeah I think so yeah and I think people you know there are always new fans and people newly discovering Jessica Jones so even if they're late to the to the bandwagon they can still they can still write to the people in the show you know people like Rachel Taylor and Chris and Ritter and David Tennant they're all the kind of actors who respond to fans so Mm. It's a great way for the fans to, to stay connected with the show, really. Yeah, exactly. Now, finally, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performance industry? Uh, my advice, and uh, this is what I've noticed when I came out here, and it's different in Australia because generally actors tend to pursue some kind of training and some kind of experience, and I think that's the essential advice. Is like the best way to develop your acting or your industry craft is to get into it and start doing it. And that might be through classes or it might be through formal study like I did or uh, putting your own shit together, you know, making your own short films or getting your own YouTube videos up. Whatever is going to, like, enrich your your skills and your craft and your, your creative, like, mind, you know, keep it active, keep it active. Mm-hmm. Also, go get some shitty jobs, you know. <laughs> go, work, go work in a nice one. <laughs> go make some bricks. Yeah, it's all about the experiences. It is all about the experience. Um, and, yeah, I think a lot of people also struggle with the idea of representation. The best way to get into that is to find 
you know, showcase opportunities where, and I don't know whether they have them in Australia, but they certainly have them here in the US, where they have showcase opportunities where you can come up and perform and, and agents and representatives will come and watch you. And that's a great way for them to see your work because sometimes just cold canvassing doesn't always work, you know. A lot of agents get, you know, tens of thousands of those kind of letters every year. So mm-hmm. nothing better than, than seeing you in the flesh. Absolutely not. I mean, they, I know I know of the showcases in the US. It's still quite new to Australia, but I think they're slowly starting to introduce that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time today, and I uh, wish you all the best in the future. Yeah, thanks, mate. Really great to talk to you. And to you. That was my chat with Will Traval, recorded on Australia Day this year, so just last week. And uh, links to Will's Twitter and his Instagram are in the show notes. Now, before we look at the movie reviews, Preacher's podcast online and on stage does have something very exciting coming to you shortly. Matthew Riley's Ice Station Live premieres in the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Now, here's a trailer for the show. What happened to his eyes, Buck? Coming to the Adelaide Fringe this year. He was captured in 1995, flying over the no-fly zone during the Bosnian War. He was held prisoner for months. They mutilated his eyes, locked him in a cupboard and let him bleed. Is that why they call him the Scarecrow? Fox! Hollywood! ADEC! Now! It's too late, Mrs. Schofield! Matthew Riley's Ice Station Live. Playing from the 16th to the 28th of February at the Adelaide Fringe. Tickets available now from Fringe Ticks. French just turned Ice Station into a battlefield. That was just a short teaser trailer for Matthew Riley's Ice Station Live. Full details are available at icestationlive.com, and that link is also in today's show notes. Now, since last year, I have seen a whole ton of movies. As always, the full written movie reviews are available under the movie reviews section of the site. Now, because I've seen so many since the last podcast, I'm only going to uh, just recap briefly the last three or four. Now, most recently, I saw the film Spotlight, which is riveting, emotional, and frankly disturbing. Spotlight is one of the strongest films this Oscar season, and I gave that one five stars. And I saw that thanks to E1 Entertainment. The next film I saw was Room, and Room is quite possibly one of the best films of the last decade. It's absolutely sensational. Uh, I do strongly encourage you to go see that movie, uh, and that's five stars for me as well, and you can uh, check that full review out on the website, and that's thanks to Palace Nova Cinemas. I also saw Steve Jobs, which I gave three and a half stars to, and I saw that thanks to Universal. It's a solid film with an interesting story and a very strong performance from Michael Fassbender, but unfortunately also a very weak performance from Kate Winslet. I then saw Carol, which is exquisitely shot with wonderful performances, and it's a character-driven period drama. It's very well acted, but it fails to tell an interesting story. I also saw that thanks to Palace Nova Cinemas. So as I said, go over to the movie reviews section of the website and check out all the reviews from over the last couple of months, as there are a lot, especially in the lead-up to Oscar season. I'll have some DVD reviews from Madman and Rojo to bring you in the next podcast. Don't forget to check out all our supporters, Mad Zombie Collectibles, Madman Entertainment, Roadshow, and of course Palace Nova Cinemas. Their details are also in the show notes of this podcast. I've been your host, Benjamin Mayo-McKay, and Talk To Me will be back with another episode later this month. See you then.